Hello, and welcome to a special COVID-19 edition of the What Works for Children's Social Care podcast. Government guidelines around social distancing have forced us all to change how we live and work, not least those working with some of our most vulnerable children and young people. From our conversations with social workers and children's services departments across the country, we know that many have responded with imaginative and innovative solutions to the challenge posed by COVID-19. These podcasts will share with you some of the ways people working in children's social care are responding to inspire and reassure you. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, or you would like to get more involved and share how you're adapting with these challenges, please get in touch. Details are in the show notes. Hello, I'm Michael Saunders, Chief Executive of What Works for Children's Social Care. We're an independent charity looking to create and collate an evidence base in children's social care to improve outcomes for children, young people and families. In the latest edition of our special COVID-19 series of podcasts, I'm talking to some of those leading the COVID-19 response of the Children and Family Service Department at Telford and Recon Council. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Clive Jones, Executive Director of Children's and Family Services at Telford and Recon Council, who it has just been announced to be retiring after 45 years in local government service, 30 of which were at Telford. Taking over his role will be Joe Britton, who is with us today too. Joe is Director of Children's Safeguarding and Family Support, having previously worked at Wolverhampton City Council, Staffordshire County Council and CAFCAS. Also joining us is Heather Loveridge, Director of Education and Skills. Heather joined Telford and Recon in 2017, having previously worked in education and skills roles in Solihull and Tameside. Thank you all for joining me so much today. So just a, a first quick question, um, hopefully a straightforward one to answer. What are the biggest challenges that you faced in, in Telford and Recon during the pandemic and what have you done to, to overcome those? Okay, well, the, the, the big challenge for us to begin with was to uh, very quickly uh, to decide where we were going to work. So we um, very quickly um, decided that we needed to work from home. And uh, we very quickly also decided that we were going to use Microsoft Teams as our platform to use. Uh, and as an organisation, we hadn't really used Teams extensively until that point. So we went from a, a sort of very limited use of Teams to using it all the time from home. I have to say in the early days, it, it didn't work fantastically well, but very quickly it became very easy to use. Uh, and we've not looked back since. And we've uh, managed a whole raft of team meetings with uh, senior managers uh, and with staff using Teams. And that's gone from strength to strength. And I'm sure during the rest of this uh, podcast, you'll hear a lot more about it. One of the other problems, of course, we had in the early days at the, the biggest level was, was how to correspond with our community. Uh, and um, we've made it our business to very quickly write to our community and make sure every member of our community was aware that we were there to support them. And um, we followed up with contact with the community on two or three different occasions and with businesses likewise. So we've tried as a council, we've tried to adopt an approach, an inclusive approach. We're there, we're a cooperative council and we're there to very much work with our community and businesses to try and do our very best to ensure that they were safe and supported uh, throughout this uh, pandemic. And similarly, we've wanted to do that with our staff as well. So very quickly, our chief executive, David Sidaway, got into a, a series of meetings, daily meetings, virtual meetings, obviously, with staff, communications with staff, and basically invited people to coffee mornings very early on. That started very early on as well, really, from a staff point of view, invite the staff into coffee mornings just to make sure that people were comfortable and were safe and their well-being was really looked after. 
We were encouraged to take our kit home, so we were allowed to go into the office one last time to collect chairs and to collect our screens. We've all got laptops anyway, so uh, we've been encouraged uh, to work safely and comfortably from home. That gives you a sort of high level picture. I know Joe and Heather were doing something different within their own areas because obviously they were dealing with their staff directly. Yeah, obviously to reiterate much of what Clive has said, uh, particularly issues around health and well-being of staff and having an education focus uh, with a number of schools who were also having to respond very differently. It was really important not just to be alert to well-being issues with staff internally, but also to have that communication with all of our head teachers. And I think one of the challenges was, was to ensure that we had that frequent daily briefings. We each had groups of head teachers to maintain contact with because actually they were facing uncharted territory. This was a completely new way of responding to situations. And they too were feeling isolated. Their normal networks were not in place. Although, of course, over time, those have been established. Um, and certainly through things like the Telford Education Strategic Partnership, we've enabled that networking to continue. And I think the other particular challenge has been the speed of response that's been required in terms of interpreting the plethora of guidance that's come out from the Department for Education, which has changed sometimes from day to day and week to week. And the importance really of being ahead of the game, steadying the ship, remaining calm, and actually just reassuring our communities, our education community, that actually, you know, we can work through this in a measured way. Thank you, Heather. And Joe? Yeah, so for me, really, I think it, the challenge was to, to work together when we were apart, in a sense. We are social beings. We're social workers and social care practitioners, educators and so forth. So we're used to spending time with one another. Working um, and building on those relationships is very, very important to us all. So a real challenge for us was about getting our communications correct, getting those in order um, and communicating out not only to the community, but to the workforce and our children and families um, that we serve. A real challenge for us initially was around being able to operate our MASH, so our front door, our Family Connect service, where all of our um, contacts and referrals come from into children's services. We had to get that up and running very, very quickly. And there's an absolute imperative to do that. And that was a real challenge, but it was one that we were absolutely able to overcome. We had to decide, I guess, what our new working practices were going to be. So how were we going to be engaging with our children? How were we going to be engaging with our families? So we spent a lot of our time prioritising our work um, in terms of our, our children and the families that we needed to see and think about how we do that virtually, as well as having the face-to-face contact. Manage anxieties, I guess, within the system from our partners in terms of the offers that they had around the challenges that they were trying to deal with, vis-a-vis the ones that, that we did and still meet our statutory and responsibilities. So the partnership in terms of the safeguarding partnership was really very critical to that. And Clive quickly pulled that together in terms of the chair of that partnership. So we were really clear about what that offer was for all of our children and, and young people and their families. And um, so we really had to establish some really clever and creative ways of working. Our practitioners have absolutely met that challenge, really, in terms of how they've engaged with children and, and their parents and their carers. And really just trying to prioritise those children that we needed to see. And really looking about our staff welfare that Heather's already mentioned, that we very clearly reached out to all of our staff groups, 
that they were clear in terms of intention, clear around the aims of the service and what we were trying to achieve in these very different times um, and having that regular communication with them through staff meetings, through coffee, through briefings that we do regularly, having an all staff briefing. So it was on many levels in terms of the challenges, but I'm pleased to say um, whilst it's not been straightforward, there have been challenges that we've been able to overcome. And just finally, managing the messages, really important, and understanding what we're being asked to do um, through the government um, directives that were ever-changing and really keeping on top of those things and being quite agile in that regard it was, was also an imperative for us in terms of meeting them challenges, really. Great. Thank you all. So, Joe, you just touched on there is a need to, a decision needs to be made about who you're going to see in person who you're going to have perhaps have virtual contact with in terms of uh, the families that you're working with what factors do you take into consideration when when choosing who to go and see in real life and who to see in a more virtual way well clearly in terms of our statutory responsibilities so when we've got um section 47 into the children act 89 to undertake that's always been a face-to-face um, contact. We undertake a risk assessment first of all that's built into our children's system and that's a health and safety risk assessment that we engage with the family with in order to understand the PPE that we might need to um, use. So in terms of our statutory responsibilities we've obviously continued to meet those in terms of those section 47 immediate child protection concerns. We've looked at our children on child protection plans um, so obviously where we've understood that they've met, uh, there's some concerns and there's some risk around them in terms of significant harm. So they're the children that we've been continued to, to see on a face-to-face basis and virtually as well. And um, we've also looked at our children in care cohort and a lot of those children are in settled placements. So we took a bit of a view there in terms of face-to-face contact or not, often using um, a virtual means. So basically, we looked at all of the cohorts of our, of our children across the system in terms of our children with disabilities as well and our children in need and risk assessed all of those and made a decision, therefore, as to whether we needed to see them face to face. And we've been able to use the virtual world really very successfully in terms of reaching out to our care leavers, for example, in terms of reaching out um, to some of our children in care and had some really, really helpful um, engagement in that regard as well. And it's enabled social workers to have an opportunity to think about how they engage with children um, slightly differently. But we've done a risk assessment essentially on all of our cases and we did that really, really quite quickly and we ragged all of our cases um, in terms of priority from red, amber and green and we've written um, procedures and protocols to support that new way of working and those new operating models. Fantastic, thanks. And so you touched on the fact that social workers have to think a bit differently about how they work with families and how that relationship works. Are there any uh, particular examples of, of good or interesting practice that have, have come about which sort of reflect a, a change in that relationship? I think, I think we've gone into the children and young people's world. We've stepped into their world. It's a world they're a lot more familiar with than, than a lot of the practitioners. And I think they've enjoyed that. I felt I think that they have um, felt a more of a sense of control about who they engage with and how they engage with our practitioners and our social workers. Certainly, in terms of our children and um, our care leavers, certainly we, we, we they're using they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook, and um, we've got one of our participation um, workers who is one of our care leavers. Um, our PAs have been doing virtual face-to-face calls with all of our care leavers. They run um, a, a mini food bank. Um, from our care leaver lounge 
um, where our care labourers meet. They, they ran that. Um, we've got our Smash Lives, um, which are a, 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 an organisation that we use who support and mentor our care labourers. They've been running pieces of work and webinars um, with our care labourers as well. Um, we've had when children have moved, and we haven't had a lot of children move actually from placements, but where we have had children move, we've done a virtual video or whatever you want to call it in, in a foster carer's home and we've shown those to the children so that they're familiar with what that's going to look like and what the family's going to look like and showing them the family dog, etc. So all of those things are quite innovative and they're not things that we've probably um, used previously. And certainly children and young people are telling us that it's absolutely and kind of work for them really. So they're just a few examples of some of the creativity and some of the work that, that we've undertaken um, in a virtual world. It's probably also worth commenting, Joe, about fostering and our we've we've launched a recruitment campaign during the COVID period. We've had a really successful recruitment campaign. And I think that goes against perhaps the, the, the national picture, but certainly we, we had a really successful um, campaign. We had a really successful recruitment activity, if you like, where we've, we've, we've recruited new carers through this period of time. Um, lovely messaging going out on our media, um, lovely support from our comms team in that regard as well. And that's really attracted some new and interested carers and um, to come and care for some of our children and young people, even in these quite challenging times. And um, we've been able to be quite successful in that regard. And in terms of if you're thinking about comms, as well, we've reached out, we've done a comms um, initiative around Don't Sit in Silence. Um, I touched on earlier on where we've worked with Clive very early on as the chair of the um, Safeguarding Partnership. And we identified there um, some issues or some changes in terms of um, referral rates. And we just wanted to make sure that we were reaching out to absolutely everybody. So we've done a campaign about um, not sitting in silence. And that's very much around appealing to children and young people who might be worried or concerned about a peer. Um, so that they would be able to contact our Family Connect services and report any concerns or indeed look at any of our resources and we have an index of resources that offer assistance and support to our children and young people. So that has proved really, really successful as well, even in these times. In terms of the successful recruitment campaign for foster carers, are you able to carry out fostering assessments at this time so they're actually able to come on stream as foster carers? And we've been able to do that. Yeah, we've done a lot of that work virtually, but still been able to do some face-to-face -face work as well, but done a lot of the background work, a lot of the interviews with carers. We've been able to do that virtually and very successfully as well. And people have responded really, really well to that. Mm -hmm. um, but with that, it still features some face-to-face -face contact as well, where we've been able to do that um, safely, of course. And do you think that the people who come forward to be foster carers during the lockdown, during the pandemic, are different to the type of people who would have been responding to a foster caring campaign at a different time? I don't, I don't know if you want to say it, because I don't, I wouldn't be able to say. I don't know what you mean by different. So I'm not sure. I think that they're, they're people who, who perhaps you might, you might think that they've had a bit more time on their hands in terms of reflecting on what they'd like to do in terms of themselves as a family, as a couple, as a single person. And it might have it might have appealed to them in that regard and then reflecting on what they'd like to do perhaps. I think that COVID has enabled all of us to take a bit of time out and reflect on what we're doing in life. And so maybe from that perspective, and that's what people have done. And they've seen that as something that's quite appealing and where they can support a child or a young person um, in terms of providing them support within a home. So maybe that would be different in terms of just reflecting on, on what they'd like to be doing themselves. 
just that you were talking mm. about um, areas of good practice. One of the areas um, is probably worth touching upon that I've observed is the way that the schools and the social workers have worked together. And that started right right from the beginning, Heather, with that 52,000 uh, free school meals going out to families, didn't it, really, in a real community effort to do that. Uh, and then do you want to just talk about some of that and the school, what the schools have been doing with these vulnerable people? Yeah, I mean, our schools have been really concerned. They know their children very well. They know their families and they know their communities. So our schools have worked particularly well with social workers, with the social work teams. We've had champions who we've appointed internally uh, from existing staff who have looked at daily attendance of our vulnerable children and working with Joe social workers, those who have been red rag rated, where there are real concerns and perhaps they need to be in school. We've had champions who work with schools to find out why those children weren't in school. And we've collated that data on a daily basis so that by two o'clock every day, all of the social workers were able to see whether those children were in school. And that's something we've continued throughout the whole of the COVID period. Um, and only yesterday, of those children who can be in school in terms of those eligible year groups, then we got 92 out of 92 children in care in school. And I think that was quite an achievement. But I think what has come out of this is, is the way in which we brought our data sets together, the way in which now we're working around those lists of uh, vulnerable learners, vulnerable young people, that we work from one set of information, we agree the RAG rating around that, and it's just enabled us to have that much closer focus on our more vulnerable learners and looking at you know, their attendance at school. And I think tied in with that, what has also been particularly useful is that we've included in that list all of our young people who have SEND. So for instance, uh, throughout this process, we made 1,600 phone calls to families and carers to make sure that they were happy with the risk assessments that have been undertaken in relation to their uh, educational healthcare plans. And families really appreciated that. And it wasn't that they were unhappy with the plans and the risk assessments that had been completed, but they were just really appreciative of that direct contact. And I think there's a lot for us to learn from that in terms of how we communicate with families um, and we pride ourselves in Telford and Reakin in terms of how we work with families, how we co-produce our plans. But I think that was um, that was particularly useful. And we had a lot of responses from families who thanked us very sincerely for taking the time to check things out. So I think there are things, you know, we really need to continue and take those into the future. Yes, one of the recurring themes which we've been hearing as part of these conversations and others we've been having across the country is that a lot of the barriers between professionals have been broken down during this process, as well as the sort of the barriers between social workers in particular and families, the sort of the professional versus quote unquote service user relationship has changed and everybody's become a bit more human for want of a better phrase. Is that what you've been finding uh, where you are? And how do you think we can continue to make sure that that doing? How do you think we can make sure that continues after the lockdown ends? Because it could be very easy to lapse back into our prior habits. Can I say just, just to start, I'm absolutely sure Jim and Heather will want to, to come in on this. 
One of the things we pride ourselves on, we're, we're absolutely clear as the three of us and the council uh, senior management team is clear that integrated working practice is key to improving outcomes for young people and for working with families. We can't work in silos, we need to work together. And I think what, what Heather's just been articulating and Joe is how they've worked together around vulnerable children. I mean, if I just give it the free school meal example, we, you know, in the early days, free school meals, we got a lot of children at home, weren't in school. How do you support those vulnerable families? What we did was redeploy the staff that weren't working anymore because we had a number of those. We deployed them to deliver free school meal packages to every single house across Telford. And where we couldn't do it, the schools were doing it. So you, you've got a, a whole system effort from the off. Now, as a council, I think we, uh, well, not just a council, as a partnership, because we're working with partners, I think we pride ourselves on trying to break down those barriers anyway uh, and actually work in that way to um, to actually drive out some fantastic outcomes. And I think that, that hopefully is what we've done. We've seen some fantastic examples of where we've gone further with it. I mean, Joe, hopefully in a minute, I'll talk to you about our approach to mental health, I think, is, is a really good approach to mental health because we know we've got a, mental health is, is, is a pent up demand uh, for young people with mental health problems. So it's how do you prepare your workforce to deal with that going forward? But I'm sure Heather or Joe will pick that up in a minute. I think if I, if I could just add a comment there is that um, like many authorities, we've got a diverse mixture of schools. We've got academies, we've got maintained schools, we've got a CTC. And I think what this situation has done is that it's really brought everybody together. Everybody's been faced with the same challenges, but everybody's been willing to share ideas and approaches and issues. And I think certainly it's cemented uh, those relationships. And I think it's brought an element of humanity into things. Um, it's broken down some of the formalities and I think it's it's really, really strengthened partnership working because there's been this sense of we all need to address some of these issues together. I mean, I would agree with Heather. I mean, it is about being, I guess, in a situation, an enforced situation together, um, not only within your kind of family life, but obviously within your professional lives as well. So there is a bit of a feeling about everybody being in that same situation together as there was about us all moving into teams together. It was one whole um, change that as an organisation we had to embark on together and kind of learn from one another. I think working with partners, um, I think it, 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 it's allowed for that, as, as, as Heather was saying, really, um, of kind of personal relationship. Um, you know, I've got to see social workers um, in lots of different ways. I've got to meet some of their family members and even indeed their pets um, at times. Um, so it does kind of demystify people and demystify professionals in terms of their perceptions of one another, in terms of what perhaps the police might be perceived as or social care might be perceived as or educators might be perceived as. So I think it's demystified that and perhaps broken down barriers. And I think if it's done that for us as professionals, it's kind of done that um, to an extent with families as well. I think families have felt um, a lot more in control about the conversations that they have with professionals and um, that they feel a little bit more empowered. And that's certainly the feedback that we're getting in terms of some of our parents, particularly, and our children. So our children can engage in the conversations if they wish. If they want to turn off and press that red button, then they will. So we have to work really, really hard to engage children and young people. Um, and for families, I think those particularly ones perhaps who might I don't know, have to attend a child protection case conference, which is quite an intimidating process. It really enables them to contribute differently, 
more and perhaps on an equal footing and um, everybody's in it at the same time together and I think it takes away that issue for example of walking into a room where there's full of professionals talking about you and what your parenting's like and I think so it's it probably it increased participation at one level or another and that's certainly something that, that we would continue with and from a children's perspective we will continue to engage and supplement those face-to-face -face visits with virtual contacts with our children where they feel they want to do that um, so I think there's a lot that we want to take forward from this clearly there's we do need those social work practitioners to be able to go and make assessments and see people and children in their own home and I think you know we need to balance this out there's a lot of um, productive ways forward and innovative ways forward it's made us really have to reach into ourselves about our communication our communication skills particularly with children but obviously there's nothing like going into somebody's front room and really understanding what life is like for that particular child so i think it's it's a kind of blended approach is certainly what we will be adopting going forward and i think that's going to be really helpful for children and their families for some for children and families, we have met some problems with lack of um, technology, so they may not have the um, the laptops or the, or the mobile phones to actually engage with us. So we know the government's um, got a, a, the laptop scheme and with those laptops have arrived in Telford and we've put some safeguarding software onto them along with some other software onto them and they've gone out now uh, to the children and young people. But they won't hit all of our vulnerable young people, so we've got uh, quite a big group of um, children on free school meals that won't benefit from one of those laptops because they haven't got a social worker so they're not deemed as vulnerable in that sense but nevertheless they might be in a vulnerable family so what we've done our members this is where we've we've engaged the members the members have got their own scheme and they've encouraged all the other members to raise funding from within their own wards and they've used ward funds and we've got another 200 plus laptops and devices to allow those laptops to work and also access to wi-fi and they've gone out to another group of vulnerable young people as well. And I think that's just an example of how everybody's pulled together. And it's and it just it does bring a tear to your eye actually to um, when you see your workforce, the families, uh, and some of the some of the films we've had sent back to us that show some of the stories of work that have gone on in people's homes. It's just remarkable. You know, we've had one family that Joe can probably tell you better than I can. They were on a child protection plan, and we were sent some photos that they'd sent to the social worker all done properly in terms of um, you know data protection etc but in terms of these photographs it showed a family that had gone from being detached to becoming attached to the parents again working in a tent working on schoolwork sending that schoolwork into school for school to share sending that schoolwork into the social worker so the social worker could see it and, and that social worker was then saying to us though well, this family doesn't need to be on the child protection plan for very long now as a result so there is lots of positives uh, there will be some negatives as well because we are worried about the pent-up demand that's there in the system at the moment that's been talked about earlier and when joe was talking about earlier when children go back to school um in september and um, when more um, the youth clubs and scouts, et cetera, come on stream, we might get more referrals and we are starting to see referrals go up at the moment. But there are some real positives as well. And we, we've got to try and hold on to those and think about how we capture that way of working. And I know we're going to do that through the reset groups that we've got to make sure we don't lose those opportunities going forward. That's fantastic. And thank you to you all for those answers. Can I just uh, ask one final question uh, of each of you, which is if you had to give one piece of advice to your colleagues working in other local authorities, so your your peers, as it were, what would that what piece of advice would you give? The key piece of advice from me is communication. It, it really is about communication. It's communication with your, your communities, your businesses, as I said, but also with your foster carers, your children, your schools, uh, your workforce 
your members and it's keeping your members on side right the way through as well they need they, they very much want to be part of this and it's just keeping them engaged so it's, you can't communicate enough and it's just finding a whole lot of different ways to communicate as well it's not just dictate out it's got to be a two-way soft communication at times to allow people to talk back to you as joe's already articulated really well it's fantastic when you can have a team's conversation see the family see the pets and get them just to talk about what it's like to work at home and it's amazing how you bring people together like that how they how they connect and you can see the real buzz that they're getting and it can only, you know a happy workforce is going to deliver better outcomes for children and families in telford Perhaps if I can come in, I would reiterate. I knew you would say that, Clive, being the first to speak. I think I think the other thing is, I think I referred to it earlier, steadying the ship, being measured, being reassuring both with your staff and, again, in my case, with schools. And even though you don't have all of the answers, and goodness me, there's been plenty of uncertainty and need for greater clarification along the way, I think you've got to be pragmatic, you've got to use what information you have to hand, and then you've got to come to sensible decisions based on all the information you have. And I think in that way, you remove the panic, you can feel overwhelmed by everything that is coming from you, and you've just got to sort of steer a steady way through all of it. Um, and I think that's really, really important given the sort of circumstances we've been dealing with. So I guess I would say similar things in a sense. I think it is communication, communication. Um, certainly in terms of keeping up staff morale, um, we've been able to do that through regular catch-ups that we've already talked about, regular coffee breaks, dipping into um, quite informal chats really with um, social workers and social care practitioners. Um, I do a weekly newsletter, which is taken up by about 70, 80% of the staff who read that on a regular basis. And um, some of the some it's fun. There's some fun things in there as well. We have our service briefings. We've been having quizzes. We've done music quizzes. We've done all sorts of things to try and engage with staff. And that it's not just work related. That it's about people. It's about them as human beings trying to navigate themselves and their families and their private lives as well and their work lives. And um, together, I think in terms of managing um, and supporting our children and young people and our staff. Certainly building your infrastructure, your new normal. We were quite quick to do that in terms of looking at our new ways of prioritising cases and um, looking at our infrastructure around our policies, our procedures, our quality assurance, and our performance data. That all continues, but we've had to make changes to allow those things to happen. But the staff, workers, the workforce need that infrastructure and um, to tie themselves back into and then we know, don't we, that we are still making positive impact with our children and families because we have that whole um, rich data, that rich performance measures, that rich quality assurance to make sure that we're absolutely getting it right and making a difference and still having an impact. And that's really what I think I would be absolutely most proud about is that we've still been able to deliver high quality services to all of our children across all of children's services in really challenging times because of the tenacity and the creativity of our wonderful staff, if I'm absolutely honest with you. And just just to wrap that bit up, really, I mean, one of the things that um, I'm really keen on is that we, and we're all keen on, is that we stay positive. So we, we try to stay positive throughout. And um, when we listen to 
um, I think um, Joe alluded to Smash Lives, which is a community asset that we work with, who work with our vulnerable people. And, that, and they refer to people as being radiators or drains. We try to radiate energy, if you like, and by being positive, you try and get that across your workforce. And um, I just think it helps no end. It keeps that morale and motivation level at the right levels. And with the calmness as well, I just think it's just fantastic. It's just a good place to work. Fantastic. So uh, what I'm hearing as advice from Telford and Rekin is communication, calmness, creativity and coffee breaks are the four C's uh, to get through a <laughs> pandemic. Like so uh, hopefully everyone can take that on board. Uh, and so thank you, uh, Clive, Joe and Heather for joining us today. It's been a delight talking to you and to hear what you've been up to uh, in Telford and Rekin. Um, and thank you so much for all the work that you and your colleagues are doing every day. Thank you for listening to this COVID-19 special edition of the What Works for Children's Social Care podcast. We hope you found it interesting and useful. If there are any topics you would like us to cover, or you would like to get involved and share how you are adapting to these challenges, please get in touch. Details are in the show. Don't forget to check out our regular podcast for the latest on evidence-based practice to improve outcomes for children, young people, and families. You can also find lots of interesting research on our website as well as other ways to get involved. Thank you.